In sales stories, raw and real today, we talked to my father, Paddy Pitcock. Dad was a doctor in a regional New South Wales town. And I grew up with him saying to me, everyone is a salesperson, even a doctor. So we talk a lot about the similarities and the differences between being a doctor and being a salesperson. We look at how to develop rapport quickly. We look at the importance of always keeping an open mind, of simplifying your language. And listen out for the, the piece on listening for content, for inflection and body language to ensure a diagnosis that in one occasion saved someone's life. We also talk about one's career and career fulfillment over the longer term and, and perhaps the steps that one needs to look at to ensure that your journey is a rewarding one. I hope you enjoy it today. I certainly did. Sales Stories, Raw and Real is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led and worked with and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognize the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them, and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm podcasting with somebody who's had a, a really, really big effect on my career. And uh, he'll apologize to you all later for that. Someone that's taught me a lot about listening, someone that has encouraged me to understand that at every single stage, somebody needs to sell something. That person's my father, Paddy Pitcock. Dad was a doctor up until uh, a few years ago in a regional New South Wales town called Nelson Bay, and we're currently in Nelson Bay today. So I thought after the discussions we had with John Alton uh, and the impact that his father had on his career, I thought it'd be really, really uh, interesting for myself and for everybody else out there just to see how he might think of sales from a doctor's perspective. And, uh, and we might talk about a few other more personal things about um, my career and how I ended up doing what I'm now doing. So first of all, welcome, Dad, and thank you. Hello. <laughs> the first um, question I wanted to ask you, Dad, was the quote that I talked about from Zig Ziglar, uh, that people buy of people that they like know and trust how does that apply do you think to a general practitioner a doctor in a regional town well look most people when they go to see a doctor don't look at it as as a sale or as if they're purchasing something uh, what they're looking for uh, is uh, advice or assessment and advice uh, in a medical sense so that when, when they don't actually sort of look, think about buying things, they go there because they need something or they want something, usually of a, a medical nature uh, or a medico-personal nature. Uh, and so one has to tailor uh, one's conversation uh, along those lines uh, so that you can, A, build rapport with the patient as you request, as you suggest, uh, and also by building rapport, uh, well, then they're likely to uh, know you 
uh, and trust you. And if they know you and trust you, well, then I think they're more likely to like you uh, in that context. So how do you how do you how did you build rapport? I mean, you, you would be seeing I remember twenty five people a day for six or seven days a week for a long part of your career yeah. uh, in the early stages. How did you get people to like you, or how did you build rapport in a very short period of time, twenty five times a day? Well, look, I think you had to look at the particular uh, person that you were seeing, and so uh, I think the first thing to do is that. Uh, the first of all, you had to know your subject. Uh, and if you didn't know your subject, uh, well, then I think that you're likely to uh, uh, not, well, not only, um, you're not unlikely to satisfy their needs uh, and what have you. So you had to know your subject. And so in seeing patients, you might see dependent on what situation they're in. So let's start with when I first started here, I didn't know any of the local patients. Uh, and so I made it my business to make sure that I could make myself as aware of their medical history, uh, their family status, uh, etc., before I saw them, so that when uh, they came in, they at least felt that I was uh, interested in what they were, uh, who they were, and what they were about. So what we call that in sales is 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 pre-call planning and research. So you've you've had a look at the individuals files, for example, and try to go in knowing something about them. Well, as much as you could as much for, as the, you for those people uh, as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when you, uh, so let's just talk about those to start with. Uh, and so when they came in, the first thing you do is one, one you wanted to be pre, uh, presentably dressed. Uh, in a country town, a lot of people didn't uh, wear, don't wear suits and ties, uh, but most people were, uh, you know, comfortably attired, but, uh, you know, um, can comfortably conservatively attire without uh, uh, the suits and, uh, and that sort of thing. Though I did wear a bow tie for many, many years. Um, the second thing is that when, when greeted them in a, a open and friendly fashion and, and hope to, to make them feel comfortable. So I sitting down and, and just uh, having a little chit chat, like, you know, it's good to see you. I'm only new in town, but, uh, you know, uh, I know this, I've read your history and I understand what you're about and what have you. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get them to understand that I'm interested in who they are and what they've got. Uh, then, uh, then one would then proceed then to uh, question, uh, raise some questions with them. Now, the questions initially had to be reasonably soft because you didn't know what the person uh, was really like and whether they wanted it. Uh, uh, to get to the point straight away, whether they that might have been something that might have been they might have a little bit embarrassed about or uncomfortable about, and so one needed to uh, pursue that sort of uh, uh, approach uh, or those sort of questions, I should say, uh, to gain people's confidence. Right. So what what I like about that is that that's you know the, the in terms of Zig Ziglar's quote, like no trust, you're getting to know them, and part of knowing is then. Uh, asking questions, obviously. Uh, then it's listening, and because that gives you the best chance of diagnosing what's wrong with them, and therefore what sort of uh, medication or treatment that that they might receive. Yeah. So one followed the other, though it was a, a few steps along that line uh, before you get quite to the end. And now we're now talking also about people who are who are well known. I, I mean to say there were quite a number of people who were. Uh, who, who 
popped in for a very simple uh, medical problem with a simple solution who really just wanted their problem solved and wanted to be out of there as quickly as they can with those sort of people. Someone needed to read what I'm saying. It's really, really what they were uh, what they were looking for, uh, given, of course, that uh, we all operated under uh, some sort of time constraint, and so it was a matter of applying uh, those sort of things in a sensible fashion. I think the interesting part about that for people might, that might be listening to that is, is in selling. Well, in the organisations I work with who differentiate between relationships and solution selling, that's more, much more of a transactional um, conversation that you're having. That You have to diagnose if someone's, for example, got a cold or a flu and it's a fairly straightforward prescription uh, because they've got the cough, they've got the, the whatever it is on their chest and they've got a headache or a fever, then that's fairly transactional. But if there's something that's deeper or a longer-term problem that you have to, that you've grown up with people from, that's far more relationship-driven. Oh, not, yes, but not necessarily. I mean, to say a person who walks in with a cough and a, and, a, and, a, and a headache could have something very, very serious. I mean, to say I can recall very well one of our local boys came in aged about 10 or 12 with a headache and it just didn't look right. And when I questioned and looked at it, Bill started to ring about possible meningitis. Yeah. That's what the boy had. Yeah. Now, the parents brought him in because they thought he had a cold. And so, you know, you, you, you can't be dismissive of those things. I was thinking about more simple things like, for example, a repeat prescriptions of the pill or, yeah. or a, a, you know, a tetanus injection or something like that, right? I quite like that conversation about meningitis because it, 99 times out of 100, it's a cold. But that one time, your intuition or your gut caught calls out at you something more serious and you've had to listen to your intuition and pick up on that. Yeah, well, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a key part of um, diagnosis when, when you're talking to someone about a possible solution. There's no point in prescribing a treatment and illness for a person that doesn't have, you know. Yeah. Well, and a further point, I guess, about that in relation to what you're talking about is, of course, because of that, those people became lifelong, loyal, <laughs> what do you call them, patients or customers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know? yeah. No, it's a beautiful, it's a it's a lovely thing to have in your life when you're able to save someone's life like that. Oh, well, it's about having it. So it's a matter of working out what the situation was by analysis and listening and thinking, not just dismissing it as a, a straightforward procedure, a straightforward uh, situation. Yeah. So as a doctor, what do you listen to? Two. Well, in a consultation to well, it, it 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 depends very much on the person uh, and the situation. So, uh, what have you? But I think the first thing to do is to is to greet someone and sit them down and make sure they're comfortable. And then it's a matter of uh, depending on the person, phrasing uh, the opening and phrases. Well, you know, there's the old standard. What can I do for you? Or how are you? Or you know, you don't look as well as you did last time. Or just an opening sort of uh, sentence that makes the people relax and start to talk. Mm -hmm. And so initially what you do is listen to what the person's saying yep. and the inflections that they put in their conversation. And the inflections in their conversation are almost important as the content. Uh, and because soon after you get some experience, you will learn 
as we say, separate the wheat from the chaff or the importance from the non-importance. Yeah. Uh, and that directs you, you're questioning. This is prior to examination, of course, apart from looking at the person and looking, reading their body languages before you proceed further with questioning and examination. Right? So you're listening to content. Yep. You're looking at body language yeah. and you're listening for inflections. Or listening. Yeah, or, yeah, I'm listening, listening to, to or for inflections? I'm listening to, I'm listening to content, inflection and body language. Yeah, okay. Now, inflection and body language uh, could be uh, construed to be uh, related, but they aren't always. Yeah. So what are you listening for? Uh, data. Yeah, information. Uh, uh, data, uh, relevance to the person's symptoms uh, and, and, and appropriateness of the um, questions to, uh, sorry, the symptoms to what appears to be the diagnosis. Yeah, so, so you're listening for almost groups of symptoms. Is that right? uh, not necessarily groups of possibly. Well, yes, in sections, but not, uh, uh, it's hard to put it quite so, um, it's in, in boxes quite like that. Uh, but certainly there, are, there would be a series of questions uh, for example, with someone who, who, for example, you were treating for blood pressure, well, then you would have a series of questions that you might put for that. Mm. Uh, and then there'd be a series of questions you might put in other ones. And then there's the, the, the other thing that we used to use, and you, you only uh, do this as a result of mistakes that you've made in the past, that you then treat all chest pain as cardiac in origin until proven otherwise. Mm. And so, you know, there are a series of things, but... You, you, yeah, certainly you group your questions depending on the um, uh, on, on the basic symptoms of what they are, but it's a fairly broad sort of a question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm interested with the um, the listening for to go back to the to the boy that you picked up that had meningococcal, as things yeah. turned out, right? Yeah. What what do you mind, What do you think you might have been listening for then, or listening to then? Uh, no, I just I was looking at a person who uh, that I knew who came in with 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 what they thought his parents thought was the flu, yeah. but it just didn't look like uh, a flu. Now, how do you get this sort of um, call it intuition or call, call it? Uh, I think experience gives you that uh, because you're experienced in listening to people who have that in a common way. Whereas a meningococcal, I only saw oh, three or four of them, I think, in my uh, uh, 50, medical 50 career. Years, yeah, right. So you don't see a lot of them, right? Yeah. But it, because it was just just not right. And, so and the same can be said, I've had people, for example, who came in with what we thought was asthma, right, uh, that had symptoms of asthma, shortness of breath and what have you. And when you explored it further and what have you, it turned out not to be asthma. It turned out to be due to heart failure. Yeah. And so these sort of things... What I'm getting from that in terms of your intuition is is you're, you're, you're listening to what they're telling you, but you're also listening to yourself around the intuition that this doesn't add up. So how do you tune into what you're saying to yourself about those sorts of things? Oh, I find that's a, that's a fairly hard question to answer. I think you... Uh, I told you it wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, because, you see, I guess probably uh, one... My, my main, first of all, and I think it's one of the very important things in life, 
is to maintain an open mind yeah. uh, about anything, yep. right? Uh, and uh, and at the same time, as I've often said to you people, uh, one of the greatest assets you can have is insight. So if you've got an open mind, what you do is you don't pre, there's no point. Well, it's dangerous to make an assessment after three or four sentences, Yeah. right? Uh, you, you you need to look at the, the whole thing and keep an open mind as the story goes by because as the data builds up in your cerebral computer... So how, apart from um, saving people's lives, um, and I do think, you know, we talked the other day about doctors automatically have um, the most amount of trust um, in society, right, because of their, uh, their role, their stature, their perceived experience and all those sorts of things the salesmen have the least but when you combine a, a salesman with a doctor uh, which you know I learned from you a long time ago how, how did you get people to trust you and how did you get them to keep coming back well look I think the trust bit's probably been done by my forebears yeah, yeah. I'm going to say one only as long as there's been history uh, there's always the the, the so-called doctors or, or medicine men or witch doctors or whatever else you've had, have had a, a particular position in, in the social structure of the, uh, of the community in which they live. So that, that's it. That, that's the first bit. Secondly, I think that uh, nowadays, because doctors are so highly trained and their knowledge is very specific, uh, as we used to say, the, the knowledge is, is not necessarily broad, but it's fairly tall that stands them in good stead. And and lastly, but not leastly, I think medical nomenclature uh, is such that most people can't comprehend it. So when I start dropping medical terminology, uh, people are just bamboozled or, or almost stunned by it, you know, tend to you know, believe what you say. Now, provided that your data uh, is uh, reasonably accurate, or as accurate as it can be, given that medicine isn't an exact science, is not an exact science, uh, I think that uh, that uh, reinforces uh, that trust that you spoke about. It's interesting if you think about the statistics that, that doctors are the most trusted in the world and that it is highly technical. And so, uh, you, but you need to be careful with your language around how complicating it can be. Oh. Um, certainly in, in the field of technical selling, some of that is really bamboozling as well. And often with, but, but on the other side, with salesmen not necessarily being trusted as much as a doctor because of their forebearers and snake oil salesmen and all those sorts of things, then it can be, um, I've been in a number of conversations with myself and, and some of my sales teams over the years where people glide, glaze over. When you skip, when you get too technical for them, well, look, I think uh, can I say to you uh, that I think it's terribly important. Uh, I found it. Too, I thought it was terribly important when I spoke to people that they understood what I was telling them. And so, medical terminology might be bamboozling to a lot of people. I attempted as part as wherever possible to put it into put their their, their situation into language that they could understand. How, how, did, how did you how did you do that? How did you check yourself to make sure that they understood you understood what they were saying? I probably went back to my basic, uh, uh, you know, the way that we grew. What I used to, how I used to describe things before I did medicine, right? Yeah. 
and so you know uh you know phrases like you know things that uh, you, you you say you know you're, you're um you, you can try that but it's not going to float mm. you, you can use things that that, that people uh, would understand even in a uh, in a, a sort of semi slang uh, a phrase, uh, so that they say, well, "Look, yeah, you, know, you don't say you cactus, but you might say, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, how you phrase things along those lines. You 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 can put it in a way that people will understand it." And so, when I used to speak to people about, uh, let's say, heart problems, well, I just tell them, "Well, that's just like a, a you know, you know the difference between a, a, a diaphragm pump and an impeller pump." And, uh, and most a lot of people would do that, but then you say, "Well, look, an impeller pump spins, and the water shoots out. Whereas a diaphragm pump squeezes like this and squirts it out, right?" Mm. Oh, should I understand? Well, you say, "Well, your heart, your heart's a diaphragm pump, uh, and so the pressure varies in the mains, right? And because the mains are just like a hose, you know, whatever goes through it depends on how much pressure is coming through it, and uh, and how wide the hose is, yeah, right. and and so." You know, if, you, if we're going to treat your blood pressure, or we're going to have to look at the pump, or we're going to have to look at the, the, the mains. And so I would use phrases. Or, yeah, metaphors or, and similes. And metaphors and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that people understood what I was talking about and what have you, right? When did you think you became conscious or really aware of the, I'm going to call them sales skills, that you needed to get better at or improve um, just to continue to, grow your business as a medical practitioner in Nelson Bay? Oh, I think once you started to know you, you, you first of all, you, you had inherent training uh, and you we had training at, uh, you know, at university, but uh, university really was uh, just, uh, as you probably were, just data, data, data and data and not much practical. It wasn't until I worked in the hospital in a, in a clinical situation that people started to treat things. Uh, but it wasn't until I went into private practice where I, I would uh, see people and, and what have you. I think the way that the things that you learnt reasonably, I think fairly early on, to read people. I think I've told you many times before, I thought I was very fortunate to do uh, as a uh, as when I worked in a hospital to work in a psychiatric unit uh, for three months full time and also part time thereafter, and I I thought I gained a lot of benefit as far as human behaviour and human reaction was concerned during that time. But notwithstanding that, when one well, well, sorry to interrupt there, but but why why was that so insightful? Oh, because you understood that, but the people's uh, well, you've got some. Um, I, I understand is is a bit presumptuous, but you've got some insight to the way people thought and acted and acted out. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and then one learned a little bit more about uh, personality formation. Now we're all familiar with the the, the nature nurture argument. Uh, we can't do much about the nature component of things, but in, in the nurture we can, and, and in the modification of nurture, psychiatry has a place. Now, uh, this also helped in in, uh, in in assessing people because uh, while everybody who uh, came, most of the people who came to, the, to to see me professionally thought they were ill, a lot of them weren't. Yeah, uh, and it certainly helped. In, in that aspect of things, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. Because I think 
as you say, well, yeah, anyway, and no, no, to follow that bit on, so then uh, when you start in practice, what you will soon, you, you know, don't forget, like most people you're in the early stages, you're not terribly mature, uh, and your, your interpersonal skills aren't uh, what I'd call uh, necessarily polished, yeah. but the way to do that uh, is to make mistakes, realise you've made mistakes, and ask someone, Mm. If you if you made mistakes, so that you don't sit back in a little uh, uh, hole of your own uh, and try and modify your uh, your whether you call it sales pitch or Conduct, professional yeah. content or what you want to use uh, in a method in a, sorry, in a way that's uh, unlikely to repeat that mistake if you can. So, just going to jump jump a question or two here because I think it's just been set up nicely. But what parts of your personality? do you think helped you be good at your chosen profession? Oh, well, I, I guess I suppose, I don't know. You just go back to the, the nature-nurture thing, right? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I was lucky enough to be born with a, uh, a reasonable level of intelligence, okay, which, uh, you know, is God-given or whoever else, that's, that's, that's got nothing to do with me. Uh, and I grew up in a, in a family, a very stable family or what have you, who... Uh, uh, who valued education? Uh, as far as that is concerned, I think that uh, in the in the in the nature component of it, look, I can even recall when my father died when I was twenty, uh, and my mother had very few uh, financial or, or uh, managerial skills at all. But I found I could I slipped into that very easily for the with the uh, uh, for example his estate and that sort of thing, uh, and I was complimented by uh, lawyers and accountants at the time about my perceived ability at that age. So I think I was lucky to inherit that because that's nothing that I did. Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Then time goes by, uh, you find yourself in a situation, and when I uh, joined my the practice where I worked for the next 35 years, when one looked at it in a management perspective, I saw a lot of things... Uh, that that could be improved, uh, a lot of efficiencies that could be improved, uh, and a lot of methods uh, that we could do. Uh, now it was controlled by uh, someone who was uh, the typical doctor's wife, put it that way, who, who had put her head in the sand, in my opinion, who refused to listen, who was dictatorial, uh, and who uh, certainly did very little as far as public relations. Uh, were concerned except uh, to uh, literally compromise them. And so, uh, you know, it took uh, three years uh, in that situation before I realised that either she had to go or I had to go. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, she left. We then... So there's a patience component to that. Oh, yes. Um, so that's, that's, that's something that you've learned to do. Patience is usually something that's a, it's a learned skill, I think. Oh yes, and and yeah, well, it's a learned skill, and don't forget, you know, uh, you were you were when I was fairly fairly young at the time, yeah. uh, and not terribly experienced. But I think the major driver for me at the time was it wasn't right. We could do better. Yeah. Why should we uh, have a practice that could be improved simply by changing people and by changing process and what have you? So there's an awareness there of is there a better way there is some entrepreneurialism there 
and dynamism to do better. There's focus and there's patience as well. So all of those things, you know, awareness is not something that you can take a pill for. You've mm. got to know a little bit about that and then be open-minded, I think, to go back to what you said 10 minutes ago. I, I think that's, I don't, I can't argue with that yeah. assessment. What about the parts of your personality that you've developed through your career? And, and I guess one of the things we spoke about just the other day in terms of thinking about this was, to, and to go on from where we were just talking about, I mean, being a doctor is a highly specialised skill. How did you pick up some of the more broader business skills that you needed to run a successful practice? Well, look, we, I think in those first five or six years, we got rid of the original practice manager. We did a certain degree. After I'd been in practice for not quite 10 years, sorry, we had a family company in Grafton that was in primarily directed towards the building trade with some manufacturing. It had been run uh, by my father prior to its death, obviously, uh, and some of his uncles and nephews had run it uh, for the following 18 years or thereabouts, not terribly successfully. At the end, after that 10-year period, I'd maintained an interest in it all the time, uh, as well as a shareholding, uh, because during that time we had bought out some of our uncles and uh, we had to... The, the, the company didn't didn't generate enough uh, income in some of those years to even to, for us to pay for uh, pay any dividends, let alone pay for the shares, and so we had to pay for the shares ourselves. Now that gave me a motivation to say, look, I think that I I I, I believe I might be able to contribute to uh, the management of the company in a numerical sense as a constructive sense. Uh, and so I joined the board of that company, uh, as I said, in, in about 10 years afterwards. Now, the, when I joined the company, uh, the, uh, it was in dire straits. In fact, the first three meetings I went to were creditors' meetings on our part. <laughs> However, shortly after that, my brother, in the absence of anyone else being prepared to do it, took over as CEO, uh, and I became a, a fairly significant a mentor, I would have thought. Uh, and uh, one of the first things that I did is use my uh, experience in setting up the structures to uh, optimise the financial performance of our practice. Now, those structures, we applied in in an absolute similar way to the building company. So they they interrelated very, very uh, comprehensively is a better way of doing it. And then, uh, so that helped us then, then during the the period of time that I worked as a director of that company, uh, where we expanded it, uh, the the experience that one gained by doing that, uh, I could apply to the management of my medical practice because the basic management principles and financial management structures uh, are are very similar. Uh, Now, people might say, oh, look, how is manufacturing plywood uh, or, or something like this, the same as running a medical practice. Well, you one could say that, well, owning an x-ray machine, uh, getting an x-ray machine license, I should say, owning an x-ray machine and providing x-ray services to your patients in a rural area is no different in, some, in, in a commercial sense. Uh, the same could be said for having cardiograph machines or a pathology laboratory. And so while people call this uh, 
you know, diver, we, we, we call it diversity or, or, uh, or leveraging your, um, your primary uh, function, e.g. the practice of medicine, but by leveraging these uh, other uh, associated uh, operations are no different in principle mm. to, uh, to, to running a, 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 a manufacturing distribution business. And so I was able to apply those, and that helped enormously in the management of our practice. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the, the initial stages of the medical practice and what you went through there served the family company, yeah. and then the family company fed back to the medical practice. But So it became this kind of spiral up, for want of a better term, oh. because you're, learning, you're applying the learnings with an open mind. Yeah. You're applying the learnings that you gain from both to, as you say, leverage um, the success of both both businesses yeah. going forward. I think so, and that continued. I mean, so the last one of the last big things that uh, I did uh, was to uh, arrange for all the properties in in uh, our building company. Uh, sorry, in in the in the company to be put into a a, a trust, mm. a unit trust. Now that separated them, separated the main businesses, gave us more security, gave us more flexibility, yeah. uh, and that came as a consequence of the structures that we put in place in our medical practice, right? Yeah, that's great. Just going to change tact here a little bit, just a little bit. What, what, have, what have you learned about humans over the course of your life? Well, <laughs> they're all the same and they're all different. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about your marriage for 53 or 40 no, years. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. <clears throat> oh, look, that's a very broad question. <clears throat> I think that... Um, I think I've, over the years, I've probably become a little bit more cynical about, a little bit more questioning about uh, about people, not necessarily uh, taking them at face value. Uh, I, I feel that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very loyal to people, provided they're loyal to me. But if they're not loyal to me, well, then I, I find that I'm not all that comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what have you. So I, I guess I, I have a, a, a reasonable circle of, uh, of friends and associates, but, uh, but that's that. I'm going to say uh, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a medical practice sense, uh, of course, you know, one saw the whole gambit from people who were really uh, distressed with serious, serious medical illnesses to those who were just uh, having a lend of you. Yeah. Uh, but after a period of time, I think in the... Again, in the early days, one might have been, let's say, we would use the word conned or what have you a bit more uh, than that. But having said that, uh, you know, if you were unsure in a medical sense, you know, you always had to give the person the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion. So, uh, yes, I, I think that's the case. Uh, but again, uh, I go back, I've forgotten who it was, might have been Paul Keating or what have you that said in a horse race. The, the horse to back is self-interest. Self-interest. One has to look at it in that context. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, totally. But having said that, we all need people, uh, and uh, we all need to have uh, to talk to think people and have it socially, of course. Because uh, as I've said to you, going back in the days when I did some psychiatry, uh, people who didn't talk or didn't do this uh, were less happy. Yeah, yeah, in themselves, right? Because in the final analysis, of a person's state of mind or how they feel in themselves is probably the most important component of their life. Yeah, well, I think I learned that from 
from Pop, you know, the importance of human connection, which is hmm. another part of yeah. some work that I've done. But um, and the other thing is that you can really, you know, you, you can, can take, you can give away every single toy you've got, but you can't take away your memories or your relationships. Yeah. I'm interested just to go back. Actually, I, I was thinking a little bit there as you were talking about selling, and not just selling yourself to a patient, but can you talk? Can you talk to me? Because there were some, for a range of different reasons, there were some complexities with the family business. But you had to, you had to sell ideas into that around the reconstruction of the trusts and other management or, or, or strategic decisions. So how did you sell those ideas to various shareholders and stakeholders in the business? Can you... Just oh, I think really, one sentence strength of argument. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I said you in the very, very beginning. If you had to be on top of your, yeah, your game, right? Uh, and so one did one's research, yeah. one did the thinking process, looked at the process, looked at the outcomes, and if you've got a concrete, uh, a reasonably concrete case, yeah, right, uh, that uh, you know you get it ahead. Get it through now. Uh, at times, I guess with uh, that company, uh, things were decisions were made where I don't think necessarily I applied enough critical thought to them uh, and critical analysis. Uh, otherwise, I would have opposed them more than I did. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think that uh, uh, because we're all humans and we all interact and what have you. Uh, nowadays, uh, I would be far more uh, stringent in my analysis of various uh, things, given the role that one has. Yeah, sure. Because I, think, don't, I, I don't believe necessarily that a board of directors ought to control a order or to direct a company. Yeah, they really should be following what the management does, mm. uh, making sure that what management is doing is correct acting if they don't, and then putting in ideas for discussion. But if you put that idea forward, that's where you should have it perfectly uh, Yeah. Well, I think life teaches you a lot around that, as you said, and, and we, we generally learn more from our experience than we do out of a textbook. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and just as you were kind of talking there, and to go back to the very start about Zig Ziglar's quote, is people buy people they like, know, and trust, not, you know, going to go into it here because it's not appropriate but there were some some trust and like issues there but because you knew you knew your strength you knew your content around and you were able to present a strength of argument you had the focus you had the patience to kind of push those through i think those good ideas eventually got over the line albeit around a few corners and over a few speed humps yeah i i think that's correct mm. is there anything else you'd like to share dad about about the concept of of selling. I mean, I, I've shared with you my career and journey and the saying that about Zig Ziglar and Henry Ford's nothing happens if no one sells anything. I mean, we're in a capitalist Western and developed in inverted commas society, which we've had some funny chats about, but is there anything else you'd like to talk about around the concept of sales and selling? Well, only to say that, you know, uh, you, you've put questions to me uh, as, a, 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 as a doctor, right? And so uh, it is uh, sort of 
fairly, uh, well, whether you want to call it job specific or, or what have you. But I, I, I think I, I may have said to you in the past that really, apart from the actual product that you're selling, in other words, medical services, the same thing, the same principles apply, really, in my opinion, uh, whether you're selling medical services, whether you're selling uh, building materials, or whether you're selling ice creams. Mm. That, that it, the same things that we've said and we've discussed them before, which is yeah, developing, and first of all, knowing your subject, then meeting with people, developing rapport, developing trust, providing value for money, yeah, uh, I think because if you if it's the easiest thing to do is to have one or two big hits and say, uh, look, uh, they help me be very smart, but it's not very good for repeat business. And so I think providing giving people the perception, uh, at least the perception, and hopefully the fact of getting getting value for the services that you've provided or the product that you're selling them, as I said, be it medical practice or be it uh, uh, an ice cream, uh, are the same, right? I think it's really interesting that you say that because the last question that I've got, well, second last question, uh, is that, you know, I've obviously got an older sister and two younger brothers, and I'm just thinking about the four places we found ourselves in in terms of our careers. And if you think about Madeline, then her business has grown a hell of a lot by selling child or after-school care services over the last five to ten years. So it's it's put her on a pretty amazing trajectory yeah. like that yeah but you tried a couple of different things first yeah um brendan was a bit different but he's he's had a long and sustained career in building or the business development of mining companies yeah and uh, all of which require um to get to get ore out of the ground in one way shape or form but someone's got to turn that into something that someone's going to mm. buy and then uh and then obviously michael has um followed his love of, of computers mm. and made himself a career in in the business development that game. So yeah. I think it's, uh, what, what have you observed about our four careers around that? Uh, look, I think probably the, one of them, uh, apart from the fact that as you're aware, I was very, very keen for you to get the building blocks in place. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, secondary education and tertiary education it was something that I, I believed presented you with the building blocks uh, for a successful career. I think probably one of the, whether you call it mistakes or I think probably one of the areas that I didn't necessarily uh, comprehend, I guess, is uh, or understand, is, I guess it's the same thing, is the fact that when in choosing a path that you're going to follow, uh, the importance of encouraging you to do something that you really like, okay? Uh, I, I'm going to say we, we did this and we did that, but rather than saying, oh, look, and I think that's a classic example with Michael and uh, when I said him there's no bloody future in, <laughs> in computing science, right, because of that. Uh, and yeah. so I think that 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 in 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 for example, if I was asked to to uh, counsel any of our grand any of my grandchildren about it, 
uh, I would tell them exactly the same thing. Get a ticket of some sort, get a, yeah. because that's the security of it. You can get by without it, but even though Mick's done very well, he would have done better had he had a ticket. Yeah. Uh, but uh, do then do something you like. Don't do something because your parents think it's a good thing to do or your girlfriend does this or, you, or you, you know. It's interesting that ch- that changes throughout your career what you're like. You go into and out of different yeah, things. I understand. And, and, and we had that conversation a year or two ago with Bill Walter around um, in, in your day careers were more linear where it's not necessarily like that these days you can in some careers it, it is and yeah. i think brendan's demonstrated that for sure yeah. but madeline's has been anything but linear yeah really yeah but mine wasn't really linear either yeah right you see because while, while medicine is as probably as narrow as you can get yeah I've, i had uh, almost a dual career for want of a bit of absolutely yeah, yeah because it was something that i really liked yeah 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 Right? Now, I, I didn't sit back and consciously say, I'm going to do this because I really like it. It's the yeah. sort of thing you just, you like yourself a bit. Yeah. But I think in, 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 in counselling children or counselling people, I think it's a concept that at times we don't give enough attention to. Yeah. Well, I think we might wrap it up there only because I do have a lovely quote to finish, which is I only came across just this week. Uh, and it's a definition of success by an American poet. And she says, success is liking yourself, what you do, and how you do it. And I think that's I think yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty good way to finish. So, yeah. Well, I, and I'll just go back and put my last thing. And I said, as I said to you there about 15 minutes ago, I think that the, the one of the greatest things that can happen to you is if you content with yourself you've got yeah. inner, inner inner content yeah now there, there, people will always find there's a bit of greener grass somewhere right but if you're basically happy with what you're doing and what you've done and you feel comfortable in yourself it doesn't happen to a lot of people yeah well i think that's what mayor angela tapped into exactly that yeah. so yeah. thanks dad okay that was good i <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly well, do. It's a benefit to you somewhere on the line, anyway. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie.